I was going to uh, start out with something humorous tonight, but I changed my mind for one reason. I read a book not long ago, Letter to the Churches by Francis Chan, and you may think great things of him or not so great things, but he said something in the book that was sort of illustrated tonight as we were gathering. He said, a lot of times our church services might be better if we gave much more attention to the reading of the Word of God with power and emphasis. And Stephen, thank you for reading the portion tonight. Obviously, it meant a lot to you. And um, I could see us having services where we'd have some songs and just the reading of the Word of God the way you read it. And the great thing about when Stephen said that, he didn't make a single error, did he? In what he said. That won't be true tonight when I speak, but <laughs> when you stay with Scripture, there's such a power, isn't there, to the Word of God? And you just, I just listened to it, and uh, it was moving. Actually goes into part of the, to the Great Commission, which we want to talk about as it being defined. And I'm not going to put the Great Commission up on the screen tonight, so if you have your Bibles, you might want to open them to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, and the section that, you know, as, as he read that, behold our God, I, I want you to sort of capture that emphasis when Jesus said to this small group of believers, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. It sort of goes with what we just read, if you think through the content of what Stephen just read out of the book of Isaiah. And uh, so I want you to think about that as we get into the message tonight. I do, uh, again, want to just sort of remind you of several things we said on Sunday, if you weren't here. Um, number one, we stated that when you look at the Great Commission, which we are going to look at tonight, it is to be counted as a privilege. I never, never want to forget that. And I think the way in which God saved me, I was so thrilled that I had eternal life. I could not contain myself. I couldn't believe that I was going to spend all eternity with God. But my mind quickly switched and said, then Chuck, what's going to happen to the rest of your family? And from there started a great burden to try and share the word of God so that others might experience that joy. And I pray that every one of you that is saved, that names the name of Christ, that you would take time to fathom what salvation is because that's pretty much at the root of this one of the reasons we don't share is we've never fathomed what salvation means to us. To live with God in a perfect kingdom that's never, 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 never going to end. That's unbelievable. 
And that's what Jesus talked about as we went through. So number one, it is a privilege to be involved in the Great Commission. Number two, remember I stated on Sunday that Tim Keller said that how many friends does a normal person make in his entire lifetime? Good friends. About 12. Now that may vary for different people, but when I look at my life as far as close friends, I don't know if I even know how to define a close friend. My wife said, Chuck, I don't think you have that many close friends. And... (laughs) She might be right, Um, but we do make close friends. So when we talk about the Great Commission, I don't want you to think of scores and scores and scores and scores of people. I want you to think about people that are around you that you already know. It's a privilege to have a friend, too. And may God open up the doors for us to look at that. The other thing I, I said on Sunday as we started was truth is transported through a life, not in a vacuum. What you teach, how you teach with your life is often so much more powerful than your words. And I want you to think about the Great Commission because whether you understand or not, you're already teaching all the people around you about the Great Commission and what you think of it. Whether you're active or inactive, Your life, your life is teaching right now. That's why Jesus was such a powerful teacher. Because as his men gathered around him, they didn't just listen to his words. They watched him in action. And they caught it as he talked to the woman at the well. They were bewildered at times, but they were seeing what was taking place. As we have our kids around, that's how we teach. And uh, so that is something that um, we need to think about. Now, as we think about the Great Commission, just several things as we go through. And um, the other thing I wanted to state, and I jot my notes down, is the imbalance. I've been in around a lot of different branches of Christianity, good branches, and I've been in churches where they celebrate 500 salvation decisions in one year, and they're so excited, and yet the church stays the same size. Somehow, I don't get it. And, and I've been in churches that celebrate, we are in a high discipleship mode right now in our church, but there's no adult conversions That doesn't make sense to me either. And so as we look at discipleship, I'd like us to have the biblical view of discipleship. Now, as you look at Matthew chapter 28, and uh, and if you go back even to verse 16, 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped, and some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. So as you think about this whole setting, just the emphasis that God has for this commission is very glaring if you know Scripture. There are so many things that are taking place at the end of Jesus' life. Even after he dies, he's resurrected. And do you remember what Matthew says earlier, and I'm not going to look at it, Matthew 27, where different ones are raised from the grave after Jesus rose from the dead. Do you remember those verses in Matthew? Wouldn't it have been intriguing to watch some of those stories take place? I love life stories. And people coming back from the grave to their own homes, to their families. What took place? I mean, 
We could have doubled the Bible if we wanted to look at some of those stories, couldn't we? And then Jesus was alive for 40 days doing miraculous things, showing himself to believers. Yet we have very few stories of that. John records one when they were out on the boat and fishing and the Lord appeared to them and, you know, feed my sheep. That story is there. But outside of that, there's hardly anything. We could have volumes written on that. But that's not recorded. Why? Because this is what he wants you to remember. He loves the stories too. And we'll have time in heaven to hear a lot of those stories. But this is where he wants to focus as he comes to the end of this letter in the book of Matthew. Now, another thing, there are people that say, and I've read even some learned men, this commission was just meant for the twelve don't try and lay it on us because, listen, it's given to... Now, we're going to deal with that, in fact, more so as we go on in the week. But just a cursory read of this passage tells you that's not true. Look at the Great Commission. It says there, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Really, the Greek word is ethnos, which means ethnicity. Go to every ethnic group and make disciples. That's the idea. It's not nations as borderlines. It's ethnic groups. Do you think a small group of 12 is going to reach all the ethnic groups there are? And then when you look at the end of it, notice it says, I, it says, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. What's the end of the age? Well, the book of Matthew would define that when Jesus comes back himself to set up the kingdom. Jesus knew it was going to last 2,000 years, so why would he say, just if it's just to the 12, I'm going to be with you to the end of the age? It's far wider than the 12. It's far wider than the 12, and does include us as you look at it. Now, I want you to look at, if you have your booklets there, here's a, a this has just a, always been such a, challenging statement. If you have your booklets with you, and we're going to fill in the blanks here shortly. This is what Robert Coleman writes in his little book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, which is a great book. Merely because we are busy or even skilled doing something does not necessarily mean that we are getting anything accomplished. The question must always be asked, is it worth doing? Now here's the question. Do we see an ever-expanding company of dedicated people reaching the world with the gospel as a result of our ministry. Answer that. That's a great question. And there's many a person that's active in the local church doing good things, wonderful things, pastors being very busy. Everybody is busy. I'm just telling you that right now but actually what's being done. This is the commission that's given to us, and sometimes it can get pushed aside. That we are busy in church trying to work one program of evangelism after another can't be denied, but are we accomplishing our objective? And every person individually in church needs to answer that. Now again, as you look at your booklet, it says, He now turns to us as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. 
And then here's the beginning of the Great Commission. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And I often wondered, why does Jesus say that? What's the meaning? Why is that in there? Just get to the commission. But you know, the more I thought about it, the more it makes sense why he made that statement. Think about the group that he's talking to. Think about this group of men. We know that when Jesus went to the cross, what did the disciples do? Scattered everybody to his own direction. And, and when you think about even after, and even Peter denied him three times, and then even after the resurrection, where were they? Hiding in a room. This was a small group of men who, you know, to give a commission. And remember this, there is a commission in Matthew chapter 10 where he gives the, the 12 as they go out, don't even go to the Gentiles. You just go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is a much different commission, much grander than even that. And so as he talks to these men, he says, all authority. Why do they need to hear it? Because they're going to say, what business do we have? Trying to confront a world. Listen, Jesus, it really didn't go so well even after the first commission. I mean, look at what happened. And, and now you want to send us out there into the whole world? What are you thinking? Jesus said, I want you to understand something. It's like when God was talking to Moses. Hey, hey God, the Pharaoh's not going to listen to me. Did God just give up then? No, he still sent him. And there's a real parallel as you look at that, but he's trying to say to these men, I want you to understand it. All the authority of heaven is behind you as you go out to complete this commission. Heaven is with you. That's what he's saying. I need to hear that once in a while. Even when I flounder and, and, and it doesn't go well, I still un, I understand if I go out and fall on my face or whatever, which has happened many times, I still understand, heaven's happy with me. And that, that's the whole idea. He's trying to help them understand that. So as we define the Great Commission, make sure I got this upside, oh, here we go. The definition of the Great Commission is right before our eyes. In his love for the world, he now thrust us out into the world to fulfill his commission. Now, from your reading of Scripture, are times going to get better or worse as we come to the end times? It's going to get worse. So we really need to listen to this. All authority is given to me, heaven and earth. I mean, he's still lovingly, you're still going to find. But the one thing you do find, even in the book of Revelation... You do find pockets of people that are going to turn to God. And I'm telling you right now, God's always going to be converting people. He always is going to be converting people. And it's a privilege for us to be involved in even one. Even if they're less, there's going to be pockets. And I'm just saying to you, Iowa is a powerful place to be right now. 
And God is at work in Iowa. And so let's get busy with everybody else as we go through this. There are four verbs here. This is basic teaching. You can see them right there. As, as you look at it, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things, to observe everything that I commanded you. So as you look at the verbs, here we go. Go is a participle. It's the very first one. It's the very first one. What's the idea of go? I'm just saying, you know, we talk about making disciples, and we need to make disciples. We need to make disciples in our own homes. Don't ever forget your kids. They are paramount. But I want to say this. Do you think when Jesus gave this command... Do you think he wanted us to go beyond our families? He said, as we just looked, I want you to go to every ethnic group in the world. Do we have to go beyond our families? Yes. Now remember, I said at the beginning, truth is transported through a life, not in a vacuum. You can't say to your family, go to the world, and you yourself aren't reaching anybody. You're teaching your family right now. Do we extend beyond ourselves or do we stay looking in? You're teaching in your church. If your church is saying, just us four and no more, you're teaching the whole church. If you have a discipleship program, but that program isn't helping people come to know the Lord, you're teaching an inward discipleship group, and the churches will die if that's all you're going to do. And you're teaching through your life. So as, as we look at this, obviously Jesus wants to, to go way beyond the family. Make disciples. This is going to be the main verb. That's just one Greek word. Make disciples. And, um, boy, time goes fast here. But the whole idea is making disciples was a part of that culture. Pharisees had disciples. John the Baptist had disciples. Jesus had disciples. They were learners that followed around. Now, the different thing with Jesus is that before that, all the time, it was the person who wanted to be a disciple asked the person above him, can I be your disciple? I want to learn from you. Jesus did it the opposite. He chose disciples. So, but they understood. Those men understood what discipleship was because they sat under Jesus all the way through baptizing. Certainly that's going to speak about the local church and we are going to talk about that the final night and teaching them. All of these things need to take place as, as we go through. Now, every verb is important, but the main verb is to make disciples. We need to make disciples. So the obvious question that we should have, are you are there people that you're discipling? You've won to Christ and want to make disciples. That's the main verb. How did Jesus make disciples? Jesus entered relationships with people 
in order to teach them and model for them how they should walk with their heavenly father. That's what he did. That's what he did. So let me do something just at this point because I just want to bring in an illustration. Um, oh, naturally it starts with the gospel. This man I introduced you to on Sunday and my wife said, Chuck, you're going too fast. You're going to confuse people. And I did. Remember I said Dick fell away from the Lord and he lost his first marriage. This is not his first wife. This is a wife that God graciously gave to him. Dick tried to repair his marriage after he got right, as he was trying to get right with God, but his ex-wife wouldn't listen, didn't want it, and walked away. He lost everything. And he started to build again, and then God graciously gave him Lynn, who has been such a help to him. But I wanted Dick to talk to us a little bit tonight, so... Let me see. Back one. Is that? Go ahead. There it goes. So just listen. Hello, my name is Dick Ober. Our topic today is evangelism and the importance of follow-up discipleship. Chuck and I, for a number of years, have gone to different homes, trying to establish a dialogue with people and to get to know them, and then hopefully eventually down the road, sit down with them and do a salvation Bible study. Now, to be honest, most of those people we go to do not agree to do that. But there are occasions when they do. And today I have a couple with us, uh, Matt and Lacey Crittenden, who did agree to do that. We met Matt and Lacey about, oh, it's a little over four and a half years ago. We went to their home. They were friendly. Uh, at that time, they did not take a Bible study, but we did go back. They didn't take a Bible study that time either. But the unique thing was they started to come to our church. And after several weeks of attending our church, they agreed to do the Bible study. Another man named Tom Kimberly and I started going through those salvation studies with them. And after a couple of studies, they prayed to receive Christ. Or so we thought. Lacey did. She started to grow immediately. And her life was changing. Matt, on the other hand, wasn't, it wasn't a real conversion. But Lacey was really growing, and it was an amazing thing to watch how much her life changed, the way she was studying her Bible. And at this point, I'm going to let her step in and give just a brief version of her testimony and what God's done in her life. Well, I was raised in an abusive, strict religious home, but growing up, I never learned how to have a relationship with God. My young adult life was riddled with abuse, abandonment, and chaos. By the time I was 27 years old, I had had multiple miscarriages. I was divorced, a single mom to an autistic son. I had had an abortion after a sexual assault, and I struggled with mental illness and addiction. I convinced myself that God had forgotten about me, so I was going to forget about him, and I freely told people that he didn't exist. Two weeks after my abortion, I met my husband, Matt, and 14 months later, we were married. 
My marriage to Matt only proved to further the cycle of abuse and abandonment in my life. Five years later, we moved to Iowa, and we were only in our place for six days when two men from Sailorville Church came knocking at the door and invited us to service. Eventually, we went, and I just loved it. Um, but deep down, I never thought that I could be as much of a part of the church as the other people in attendance because I had committed the ultimate sin, and I figured God didn't want me. For the next uh, few weeks, I kept seeing the numbers 111 everywhere. I mean, to the point of aggravation. And then one Sunday, Pastor Pat, during his sermon, mentioned Romans 111, which says, For I long to see you, so I may impart on you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Well, Pastor Chuck had been asking um, us to do a Bible study on salvation and hint taken. Uh, after service, I immediately found him and agreed to do the study. It was through that study that I realized my arrogance about why Jesus came to earth. He lived the perfect life, he died, and he rose again three days later conquering the grave. And that was the one sacrifice that was needed to make a sinner, a murderer like me, righteous before God and have everlasting life. All I had to do was confess my sins and um, place my faith in that sacrifice. So uh, in March of 2015, I placed my faith in Jesus and I was reborn. Since then, God has given me a tremendous hunger for his word he removed mental illness from my life. He helped me get sober. He helped me find healing from the uh, effects of abuse and sexual assault. And he helped me find healing and forgiveness for my abortion. I have been discipled since day one. God was faithful to knit people into my life who could answer my billion questions about his word and to help me apply that to my life um, once I understood it. Through discipleship, I learned how to love other people, which is something I was never taught. I learned to be a wife and a mother, and I learned, most importantly, how to glorify God through my obedience. And also through discipleship, um, I was able to remain joyful and obedient in the midst of a difficult marriage, which God eventually used for his glory when he drew uh, my husband to himself. Thanks, Lacey. She is a great example of a change to life. She serves the Lord um, in many ways right now. Uh, like I said, she studies the Bible more than anybody that I've ever worked with. But she doesn't just study it, she applies it to her life. She obeys what it says and tries to incorporate that into her life. She is working in several areas of the church. During the winter school year, she uh, volunteers at Alpha Women's Center. But one of the coolest things I think she's done is she felt the Lord telling her that she needed to quit her job, stay home with her children, teach them about Jesus Christ, and be a living example in front of them. And she has done that. As I mentioned, Matt, on the other hand, salvation wasn't real, and it caused a lot of tension in the home. Lacey was growing in the Lord, 
Matt wasn't. He wanted his old wife back. Things weren't going well. The atmosphere in the home was deteriorating rapidly to the point where Matt finally moved out. And I'm going to have Matt come in at this point and tell you his story, how the Lord brought him to himself. I grew up in a non-religious home, non-religious broken home. Uh, we did attend church sporadically for very short spurts uh, when we did. I did through middle school, did go through confirmation, although I didn't learn much more than unless if you're a sinner, you're going to hell. Uh, I was thrown into the middle of some pretty traumatic events growing up. Uh, the divorce of my parents, which I blame myself for, uh, and my mother and stepfather's alcoholism, which caused quite a bit of neglect. I didn't have much supervision or direction in my life, which caused in my teen and high school days to turn heavily to alcohol. My the time, uh, partying and being with friends was pretty much all I did every day. And in 2008, I met my wife, Lacey. A year later, we were married, and even that first year of marriage was very difficult. Uh, I lost my job, got arrested, uh, and did a lot of immature things. A year after we were married, our daughter was born. This marked a time in my life where I decided I needed to go back to school and get an education. I needed to make more money to provide for my family. For the four years I was in school, I juggled working full-time and being a full-time student. Uh, this caused a lot of anger and bitterness to well up inside of me. Uh, when I graduated, uh, my career brought us down here to the Des Moines area. Within a week of moving in, uh, two gentlemen stopped by and welcomed us to the area and invited us to their church, which just happened to be down the street. We had declined the first week. Uh, we had actually decided to attend another church similar to one we had been attending before we moved. Uh, the next week they stopped by again just to ask us our experience. Uh, our experience wasn't what we had intended and once again they invited us to, uh, down the street and we accepted and we became weekly attenders. A few weeks of this and we decided to do a Bible study. Through this study, Lacey uh, put her faith in Christ and I gave a proclamation of faith. Unfortunately, it wasn't true. A few weeks into our study, I took on a second job and I stopped attending our weekly studies and even stopped attending church altogether. This started causing the bitterness and anger to start building up again and I became very, very selfish and angry all the time. I became verbally abusive to my family and even persecuted Lacey for her faith. Uh, this about three years of this anger and me and my wife decided to do a separation. This separation devastated me. I became very depressed and even suicidal. Uh, during this time, I do remember, even through all of the anger and persecution I put her through, the joy she had just dancing around to the house and with her headphones in. Uh, this joy, I now realize, came only from God and not herself. And shortly after this, uh, Lacey gave me an old Bible and a couple of uh, booklets to read over. During one of those booklets was called, Is It Real? And after reading through this booklet, I determined that it has to be real. The next night, uh, I met with Dick, and uh, on January 29th of 2018, I put my faith in Christ. I confessed all of my sins, and I received grace and mercy through the death and resurrection of Jesus. 
almost immediately I felt the, all the anger that I had inside was replaced with joy. And then I was baptized on Easter, and then shortly after that, me and Lacey were reconciled. Thanks, Matt. Another change to life. Matt is now serving in several areas of the church. One of the coolest things that he's doing is when he has the time, he goes out with us on visitation, going to people's homes, trying to share the good news of the gospel with other people, just like what was done to him. And I think that's the point of evangelism and discipleship, is to create in other people what has been done in our lives. And I would encourage anyone that feels led to do this to be involved in it. When you watch people hear the gospel, it resonates with them. They put their faith and trust in Christ and then begin to serve God. It creates a joy in you that you cannot find anyplace else. And I'll tell you this, if you go ahead and do this, I can just about guarantee you will never regret it. I watched all of that sort of, not from a distance, but uh, Dick became very much a father figure to both of these people. He would go over and help, even when Matt wasn't saved, he'd help him with his car if he could. Both Dick and Lyd would spend oftentimes hours with Lacey as she was going through the difficulty as she was learning. They would be counseling her. They would keep track of her. They would spend a lot of time and um, Lacey, I can tell you right now, looks up to Dick as a father figure very much. And Matt, like I said, about the same. It was a joy for me to watch that, but the basic principles are right there as, as you look at it. And the idea is, is like Jesus taught. He said he also appointed 12. He also named them apostles to be with him. To send them out to preach. But I don't want you to miss that first phrase. What's discipleship all about? At the beginning, it's just to be with them. To spend time with them. And then watch them grow. And then help them take that very same faith that they found to others. That's the basic idea of the Great Commission. That's what... It, I hope you picked up as you listened to Dick. I hope you, boy, he's just a professional worker with people. Did you pick that up when you listened to Dick? <laughs> I hope you didn't. Because he's, he, he puts floors in. That's what he does for a living. He's done it for years. Quite timid, but a hard worker with a great heart. And I just say, look at what God has done with someone like Dick because he can do something very similar to you. Dick and I don't see hundreds of people saved at all. It's a small number, but it's a joy to do that. And that's what Jesus wants us to do. Spend time with people that God can open the door to so that we could help to make them more like Christ. First by accepting the Lord, but then like Lacey said, she had a thousand questions, and you have to get those all answered as well. And, and that's going to bring in the idea of the local church too, um, and we'll talk more about that as we go through. But 
clearly this is what the Lord has in mind. I think, and I'll just finish with this, as I think of, and this is, when I think back of how God worked, and this may be a confession, when I worked in Carroll with the O'Toole family, I, uh, when I was in Carroll, and um, we never had a large church, did we? Biggest, maybe a little over 100, 110, maybe, something like that. So I'll be honest, when I went there, I said, oh, God's going to do great things. We're going to build up a great church, and it's going to keep growing. Well, God called us to South America, and I didn't stay there as long as I thought I was going to stay there. But there were times when I was at Carroll that I did not feel like I was very successful in the ministry because my mind was on numbers. And what ended up happening is I just spent a lot more time just with the people that God gave me, and that's really what God wanted to do all along anyway. When I went to South America, it was very similar. I, I ended up in a church in a similar type of a size, and um, we had Hovindus group every Saturday. And uh, so I, being the only guy there in the ministry, led the Hovindus group, which my kids were a part of, and um, I spent a lot of time with the teens. When I go back down to South America, they're not teens anymore. But they love spending time with me. And I love that the same. Why? I just spent time with them. Working through problems. But at the same time, and I want to say this so that you picture this. At the same time that I spent time with them. I was always trying to reach new people. They have to see that. Otherwise, it turns inward, and it'll end. You don't want that. You want them to get that sense as they go through. That's what Jesus did. He worked with this small group, but they were always trying to reach other people. That's an exciting way to live. With that, Stephen, I'll have you close the service.